0: Today we're talking about something that I think I hope will will equip you and empower you to be uh to be maybe reflect a little bit back on Thanksgiving, but also prepare you for many things in December, office Christmas parties, more time with your you know thumbs in the middle or thumbs down family members, right? And that today, that what we're talking about today is loving difficult people. That's what we're talking about today, loving difficult people. I want you to close your eyes for 10 seconds. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Imagine in your mind the most difficult person you deal with. I see a lot of smiles. Okay, you can open your eyes. (laughs) I want you today, as we talk about dealing with difficult people, I want you to imagine you dealing with this person, you you interacting with this person, that person that you just thought about in your mind. And that could be anybody. It could be somebody at school, work, in your family. And usually this person could be, I don't know, uh, unpredictable. They could be rude. They can be uh, blunt. They can be even man- manipulative or controlling or, or something like that. And what we do when we deal or what we do when we love difficult people is we actually learn a lot about ourselves. We learn about others. And we grow in compassion and in grace when we do that. So why, Matt, why should I deal with, uh, with difficult people? Why should I love difficult people in my life? That's a great question. Because first of all, Jesus said it well. He said it like this. The most important commandment, he said, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he said the second is equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. So we are to love others As equally important as we love God, if that makes any sense. So that's why we love and why we are to love difficult people. And that's why we're talking about this today. I'm preparing you today. I hope you're ready to be prepared for December, for Christmas season, for more time with your family or more time with whoever that difficult person is in your life. And so uh, I, I want you to get one thing today. If you walk away with nothing else, here's what I want you to grab. This is my main point today. And it's this. See through God's eyes. You forget everything else that I say. That's okay. I want you to remember this thing. See through God's eyes. Look at your neighbor right now. Do it. Do it. Okay. Look at your neighbor and tell him the main point. See through God's eyes. Oh, I love that. I, I can always tell an introvert when they don't do that part of the message. (laughs) That's awesome. Today, we are going to learn how to see through God's eyes. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you uh, see us with love. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, empower us, and equip us to see others through your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're diving into a story today. It's kind of a minor story of the Bible. You don't hear a lot about it. It's the story. There's three characters in this story. David, Nabal, and Abigail. And so this story is about dealing with difficult people and what it looks like, what it means to see through God's eyes. So to set the stage a little bit, King Saul is king, and he hears that David is gonna be anointed to be the next king. He was anointed to be the next king. He's, He's insecure about it. David defeated Goliath. He's a war hero. Everybody loves David, and King Saul is insecure about that so what does king Saul do he decides I am going to hunt and kill David so David right now where we where we pick up the story he's on the run He's, he is with 600 other fugitive, like kind of like a ragtag team of, of people. And they're all on the run running from King Saul. And right before this story with Nabal and Abigail, David, this beautiful poetic picture happened where David could have killed Saul. And instead he cuts off a, like a corner of his robe and from a distance shows it to King Saul and says, I could have killed you. Basically I could have killed you and I spared your life. And so that is the, 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 what we're walking into. That's the backdrop, the background of this story. And we're going to pick it up in first Samuel 25. And if you are using it in your your pew Bible, it's going to be pages 249 and 250. So why don't we pick up first Samuel chapter 25. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Ma- Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it was sheep shearing time. So basically, this man got garages of Lamborghinis and he about to get paid again. Like this dude was, is rich, rich, rich for that time. So I'm telling you, this man's name was Nabal. His wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman, but Nabal, the descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. So, Nabal is the first difficult person that we interact with in this story. And to fill you in a little bit before I move on to the fourth verse, is basically David and his 600 people, his ragtag crew, they actually guarded Nabal's sheep in the pasture. Uh, I guess there was like a, there's like a grazing season when it comes to sheep and there's a shearing season. Okay. Just for background. Okay. It's, that's the most boring part of this entire message. Now you can tune back in. All right. Uh, so basically David's people guarded Nabal's sheep. Okay. Verse four. When David heard that Nabal was, was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I'm told that it's sheep-shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. So basically he's saying, your profits are in due part to our protection. And now what you don't know, and what you kind of have to read in the history of it, is there's this ancient Near East cultural custom, right? That's the culture that they lived in. There's this cultural custom, if that type of thing were to happen, then Nabal would in fact owe or, or uh, he, basically he would, he would owe David his f- uh, food or provisions or money or something like that. So David expecting this was pretty, pretty normal, okay? But it's interesting because this expectation shapes how we read the rest of the story. And when it comes to loving difficult people, it actually has a lot to do with with your expectation of them, and so we actually are. It's so interesting how David takes this expectation and then reacts out of it. So here's our my first point: we're seeing God through, uh, seeing people through God's eyes. But the first point is adopting God's perspective for people. Adopt God's perspective for people. So what does that mean? What does it mean to adopt God's perspective for people? That's a great question. So basically, let me just break it down for you. Jesus is God. He came to earth. He died the the death that we deserved. He didn't deserve it and made a way for us to have eternal life and offered it to us with no expectation in return. He didn't force you into his life. He's just offering it to you and saying, you can come and live with me forever or you don't. And that's what Jesus did. There's no, there's no expectation. He just says, you can accept it or you can't, or you don't have to. And so it's interesting because God, his perspective of people is, I will serve and love and do without any, without asking anything in return. But us, on the other hand, when we do something for somebody, we expect something in return. It's like we live in reciprocal relationships here. It's like, man, if I, if I help you move, you're going to help me at my house. Like there's reciprocal relationships that we live in here, but that's not the, God's perspective for other people. And our expectations for other people have a lot to do with whether or not they actually can hurt us. So it's interesting. Um, and, the, and the rebuttal to this too is like, okay, Matt, you're saying, what, should I just not have any expectations on people? Should I just like you know, be a doormat to everybody? Absolutely not. Because in the Bible, in relationships specifically, like there's a lot of relationships spelled out in the Bible. Husband and wife, uh, parent and child, even like employee and supervisor, like those types of relationships, those are all spelled out in the Bible. There are expectations that are attached to those because those are relationships that are spelled out in the Bible. But our demeanor towards people is God's perspective, which is serve first. And so that's, the, that's what we're kind of going into here. Okay, let's go back to the story. This is Nabal to David's young men. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread, my water, and my meat that I've slaughtered from my shearers? And give it to a band of outlaws who have come from who knows where. So basically, Nabal refused and insulted David's request. Okay, I'm about to save you a lot of money in counseling right now. This, what I'm about to say, I'm about to a, tell you a sentence. It's going to save you hundreds of dollars. It's definitely worth your gas money to get here, okay? Are you ready for this? Difficult people act difficult. Difficult people act difficult. So if you're in a relationship with somebody who you know is difficult and you're expecting them to not be difficult, who's going to get hurt in that situation? You are. Difficult people act difficult. But Matt, aren't we supposed to be adopting God's perspective? That's not God's perspective. We're getting there. But we have to come into the re- to the relationship with the expectation that difficult people act difficult. And so, and man, I'm telling you, like counselors literally work your expectations out in relational conflict. That's what they do. Let's go back to the, uh, let's go back to the, the, the verse. Verse 12 says, so David's young men returned and told David, told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped his own on. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 men remained to guard their equipment. So he was hurt by expectation and reacted out of his insecurity. If you think about it like this, like if you're off balance, like somebody, just say, for example, somebody pushes me, right? I have to overcompensate to return to balance. Somebody pushes me, I have to overcompensate to return to balance, if you allow difficult people in your life to push you, you're going to find yourself constantly being in this place of overcompensating, and you don't like you when you overcompensate, like there might even be someone in your life that when you're around, you're like, man, I always go back to like 10th grade me when I'm with them, why is that, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about, it's because they push you off balance, and you're overcompensating. But what David did, one thing was obvious and one thing was, it's just so cool how the author put it. David could have walked into that situation with the expectation that, hey, difficult people act difficultly, that's not a word, difficult people act difficult. Walk in with that expectation. He also could have walked in with this expectation. It says it there and you, you have to really know the story to catch it. David, he said, get your swords was David's reply as he strapped his own on. Does anyone know, tell me if you know, whose sword did David have? Goliath's. He had Goliath's sword. So that should have told him that the Lord is going to fight my battles. I don't have to fight this punk Nabal. The Lord is going to fight my battles for me. So if I get food, if I don't, the Lord's going to take care of me. He literally defeated Goliath, a giant, solely based off of the Lord's intervention. And so what he should have done was thinking, you know, if I'm in this position now, and I'm thinking, the Lord's going to fight my battles, and I'm expecting difficult people to act difficult, when I'm pushed now, I'm not going anywhere. So that's what happens when we expect uh, correctly, and if we see people from God's perspective, that's what happens. So, okay, let me just give you some examples of how we can reshape expectations in our life. We can reshape them from expecting perfection to embracing imperfection, from anticipating negative reactions to promoting positive communication, from assuming intent to seeking understanding, from holding grudges to cultivating forgiveness, from controlling behavior to allowing autonomy, from seeking constant approval to self-validation. So think about this. What is an expectation that you need to shape about that difficult person in your life? What is an expectation that you need to reshape about that difficult person in your life? Here's the second point. Respond. Don't react. Respond. Don't react. David was reacting. That's emotional. He, I'm about to fight these people. They don't give me food. I'm about to, I'm about to kill them. Like literally that's a, a reaction. But we get to see Abigail, so cool. Abigail is responding. And this is where we pick it up in verse 14. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David, I can imagine like this servant is like out of breath. Like he's like, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us. We never suffered harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. Like she's like, yo, Abigail, fix this or we're going to die. Like there is there is something on the line here and it's because of your husband. And then I could imagine like they're out of breath. They're like, he is so ill-tempered that no one, no one can talk to him. Do you have someone in your life that's like that? Like you can't even talk to them because they're just such a, such a force that like you can't even touch them. And, but Abigail responds. She doesn't react, she responds and says, Abigail wasted no time. And so it's interesting. Moving on to verse 21, David, this is really cool. David had just been saying, so we actually get a window into David's inner dialogue. You know that conversation that you have in the shower that's in your mind, and you're like telling this person off, and you're like, oh, I'm going to win. And like, you're fighting with this person, and like nobody's watching, and you win the argument, and everyone's like, yeah like you know like that's the conversation that David is having right now and it's so funny that it's in the Bible and it says like this this is David's inner dialogue a lot of good it did to help this fellow we protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen but he has repaid me evil for good and notice what he's doing he's he's actually like Put, putting in the logical part of his brain, his reaction. He's justifying himself. If they're going to be evil, it's, go, it's only fair if I be evil in response. It's only logical if I insult him or fight back. He's justifying his own behavior, which is not right. And he says, may God strike me and even kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. And it's interesting because we in church culture, a pastor, this is kind of like a pastor speak. I'm going to let you in on this. We say something like this. We say hurt people hurt people. You might have heard that before. If someone is hurt, they are likely going to hurt people just because they're hurt. And so that might be you today. You might be a hurt person and you might not even like how you're acting towards people anymore. You might not even like how you're, how you are interfacing in a relationship. Maybe it's because you're hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And so it's interesting because that's, his, that's David's reaction. I want to t- talk a little bit about boundaries. I think this is like kind of something that, I don't know, maybe it's my generation we talk a lot about relational boundaries. it's like, well, we have to set up a boundary in this relationship. We got to make sure that there's boundaries in this relationship. Um, yes, okay, so let's talk about that. Let me read what a boundary is, if you're not following me. It says, a boundary, this is from a commentator, A boundary is what divides one person from another so that each can have separate identities, responsibilities, and privileges. A boundary creates necessary space between individuals. Healthy boundaries define expectations and show respect for others. Boundaries are meant to preserve relationships. Boundaries are meant to preserve relationships. Just because you got hurt or somebody said something rude or mean to you doesn't mean you get to cut them off. Boundaries are meant to preserve relationships. So what is an example of a boundary? For you, that might be, you can't just show up to my house and not text me, right? That might be a boundary that you have. Another boundary that you might have is like, uh, you, you can't talk about a certain subject with other people, with that certain person, because it always ends in a blow up. Right, that might be a boundary that you you set in place, or boundaries like you just can't go on vacation with certain family members. I might have a couple of those in my life, but uh, so you might have to set up boundaries to preserve relationships. Now, caveat of that: if there is abuse, it's not time to set up boundaries. It's time to leave. If there's abuse, you need to go immediately. If there's illegal activity, even then, same thing. But if you you can't just be like this person has hurt me so i'm going to cut them off a boundary is not should not be in the place of hurt or it might it should not be coming out of a place of unresolved tension or conflict a boundary is meant to preserve a relationship if unresolved hurt is 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 there there needs to be discussion and communication about it not a boundary so so okay so if there's a abuse that's good if there is habitual behavior Like an addiction, then the best boundary that might be needing to be set is an ultimatum, which basically says, "Like, yeah, if you got to do this or this, if you don't do this or you don't stop doing this, then this will happen." That is actually showing that you care, and kind of like it, kind of like kind of throws a a really good warning flag to that person and saying, "Wow, this is very serious." And I need to actually act. They actually need to do something. It's a, it's a response to, to reshape and reevaluate the home, right? So that's what a, an ultimatum would bring. So those are examples of boundaries. I could literally talk the entire time about boundaries. We don't have time to do that. So, but you have to ask yourself, why am I setting this? And so, uh, but what David was doing, it's interesting. David was essentially cutting off Nabal. He was essentially saying, I'm going to just cut this person off out of my life. Like, and so that's what, when you cut someone out relationally, you're almost in a sense, I know this sounds pretty drastic, but you're almost in a sense killing the relationship. And so what David is, it's like, yo, I'm gonna kill this kid. I don't care who he is. I'm I'm cutting him off. That's what I'm doing. But we get to see the right way to interface with this. And that's what Abigail comes in the story. Abigail, when Abigail, verse 23 says, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter. Please listen to what I have to say. That is interesting. Because what she did was she, she took the blame for something she didn't even do. And also what happened, and David's probably seeing it in the distance, is all the food that he asked for is coming. So not only is is she saying I am I'm just I'm ex- ex- like asking for an apology, I'm apologizing, but also she's serving him. And so that's where it comes to the, this last point, service softens hearts. Service softens hearts. I was uh, I grew up in not too far away in Monroeville and I had I worked at a mini golf place and uh it was a lot of fun i loved working at a mini golf place at high school and college was my job and so i had a boss who had a temper uh, my manager he straight had a really bad uh temper he would he would freak out on things that were just unnecessary he did not need to you know the the reaction did not match what, what the situation was and so what i did i didn't really even think twice about it i was just like okay i guess that's just how managers operate. I didn't know it was my only job I've ever had. Um, so what I did was basically he would freak out on me. He would gaslight me. He would, uh, he would, you know, kind of throw the fact I'm a Christian in my face and, uh, all that stuff. And I just, I just laughed it off. I have an older brother, so I'm used to that kind of stuff. So, um, so basically what happened though was Lee would always get frustrated at the fact that a maintenance person, he just couldn't keep maintenance people at at our golf course, at our mini golf course. And it's really simple stuff. Painting, power washing, cleaning. And I was like, Lee, uh, I'll, I'll be the maintenance person. Like, I could tell you're stressed about that. And it, it really would happen. They would get hired and not show up. They would show up for two shifts and never come back. And I was like, yo, Lee, like, I, I'll, I'm will i here. Like, I, I have time. I'll be your maintenance person. And he's like, Matt, you you would not do that. You would not do that? I was like, absolutely I would. And the, the cool thing that, would, that happened was when he came in at nine in the morning, usually he would come in hot headed, mad about something. But when I was there for already for probably about two hours working at the course, his demeanor would not be one of hot temper towards me because I was serving him. And what happened was I would continue to serve him and now his demeanor towards me was a lot softer. It actually entered, it was actually uh, one of the, the a really cool thing because I was able to talk to him about Jesus and talk to him about God and my relationship with Jesus, my church family and things like that. I don't know if he's serving Jesus today, but I know I was able to talk about that with him because of, of service. And that's what happened with, with Abigail. She decided to serve and that's what softened David's heart. So what is it? Maybe I'll, let me just ask you that question. In your life, that difficult person that you're, you know who you need to, who, who you got in your mind, what is it that you can do to serve that person? What is it that you can do to serve that person? Because service softens hearts. And if you're gonna see from God's perspective you're going to see people in the way that he sees them. And when you see people from the way that he sees them and you have his perspective, he gave everything for us without expecting anything in return. He gave everything for us. And so it's so cool because we get to see now what service actually does. So Abigail in verse 25, she says, I know this is, she's still talking to David. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. And basically the name Nabal literally just means fool. But I never saw the young man you sent. So she accepts blames. She sees David through, his, through God's eyes. In verse 28, please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you fighting the Lord's battles. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. In verse thirty, when the Lord had done, when the Lord has done all He promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. So what she's doing there, David's heart is softened. She serves him. She apologizes. David's heart softened. And what she does is she speaks now to David's preferred future. David didn't even want for himself to be a man marked with vengeance and bloodshed. He didn't want that. That difficult person in your life, they don't want to be the difficult person in your life. They don't want that. But what you get to do, if that moment comes where you can speak to that person's preferred future, what you can do is just say, you don't want to go down the path that you're going down. And one key thing you can do is you separate that person from their actions. And you say, I love you as a person, but how you're acting is, is not right. Abigail did it so well. And it's interesting. David's response is so good. He says, thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. So basically her service to him softened his heart. She saw him with God's eyes and she loved him into not doing something that could have have hurt him and hurt his future. Now, there's three different ways that you can end the story. With you and that difficult person in your life. Remember what I said in the beginning? Interfacing and interacting with the difficult person in your life has everything to do with you and basically nothing to do with that other person. This is not about bashing or saying, woe is me. This is about you and your heart and your, you, your demeanor in this situation. So what does Nabal do? He returns evil for good. What does David do? He returns evil for evil. But what does Abigail do? She gives good. She returns good for evil. It's your choice. It's your choice how you react. It's your choice how you respond. You could see people, see that person through God's eyes, or you can just react and give back whatever they're giving you. I can tell you that you're going to get nowhere in life if that's what you're doing. What are you going to do in your life to serve that difficult person? That I think is the question that I want you to grapple with today is like, you understand that like reacting in the way that you have high emotion, whatever that could be like fighting, arguing, that is not getting you anywhere, but seeing that person through God's eyes, responding in love, no matter what's coming your way, honestly, that might not change anything. It might not change that person. And I don't want you to hear me and think that if you do that, it will. Because that's in God's hands. It's not in yours. But what you can do is you can return good for evil. And it's going to change you in the middle of this situation. It might not change that person, but it will change you. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, I just have a question to ask. If you're here today and you're thinking, I have a difficult person in my life. Actually, I have two questions to ask. I feel like the first one the Holy Spirit wants me to ask before I ask the one I had planned. The first question is, I have a difficult person in my life and I have not been acting good to them. I've either been acting uh, out of emotion I've been acting out of honestly like rage or envy. And it's been like David where I return evil for evil. If that's you today and you're saying, God, I need help to, to, with my reactions. I need help to respond instead of react. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand to God and say, that's me. I need help in that area. That's awesome. There's so many hands up. You can put your hands down. Now I'm going to go to the question I had planned. Uh, if you're here today and you need to see a difficult person in your life through God's eyes. This is like they're getting on your nerves. They're, it's almost to the point where you're avoiding them totally. And you know that's not right. They're, it's almost gotten to the point where you're so annoyed with them that you're criticizing them, that you're critiquing them behind their back. And it's gotten to the point where it's actually made you bitter. And you're saying, I'm the one affected by this relationship, not them. And if you need to, to say like, I need, I need to see them through God's eyes. If that's you today, would you raise your hand and just say, that's me, I need to see that person through God's eyes. That's awesome. There's hands all over the place. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just thank you so much that we can see others through your eyes, that we can see people, the difficult people in our lives, through your eyes. God, I pray for a supernatural impartation of your Holy Spirit to give us perspective on people in our lives. Your perspective your heart, your love for those difficult people. God, would you be with us? Help us in those in those moments where we want to react. Help us in those moments where we don't want to respond how we know we should. Help us, God. Give us your heart. Give us your love for people. We need it. God, I pray for all of us here that we would be prepared for those difficult people this month as we Go into this Christmas season. I pray that we would be, we would be ready, whether it's interacting with them at school, work, in our family gatherings, or anywhere else. Lord, I pray that we would be ready to, to respond with love. Lord, we see them through your eyes. We would adopt your perspective. We would respond and not react. And and that we would know who we are in you. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Be with us now. Give us blessing on blessing. And we ask that you would also just give us your eyes. We need you today. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, The prayer team is going to be up here. You are uh, free to go at this time. Just remember to see people through God's eyes.